We're in our last week on this series we're calling Deep and Wide. Uh, last week, Brian Candelo uh, talked about this, this, uh, the necessity for us to be in relationship with others, to be doing life with others. Some of you uh, have talked to me or dropped me a note and said, you know, Brian did such a great job last week. Does that mean that he's going to be a senior pastor in another church? He's going to be sent somewhere because that seems what happens around this place. Uh, we think about Josh Mann as well. Uh, and uh, I want you to know that this week we have signed Brian to a long-term contract and he's not allowed to go anywhere. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, we were just gifted to have uh, folks on our preaching team, and uh, I was not here last week because my daughter was getting married, and so I felt like I probably should be at that, uh, and it was, it was great to have Brian uh, lead us in that week on our series, Deep and Wide, and uh, this week is, is our wrap-up on that series. Uh, the skies were partly cloudy. The temperature was 68 degrees. The wind was out of the west at 10 miles an hour. It was a beautiful day. At 8.45 in the morning, employees were showing up at the 103rd floor of the World Trade Center. It was a Tuesday morning. They were pouring coffee. They were entering into, bantering into conversation with other employees. They were straightening out their desks. Some of them were reviewing their appointments that they had scheduled on that Tuesday, September 11th. One minute later, none of that mattered. And as you know, a 757 filled with passengers and filled with jet fuel slammed into the World Trade Center 20 floors below those employees on the 103rd floor. And in an instant, their lives were changed. They were cut off, they were trapped, and they were hopeless. In 56 minutes, that first tower would fall to the ground. What do you do when you know that in 56 minutes or in a short amount of time, your life is going to come to an end? What sort of things matter to you? What are you thinking? Well, we can learn some things from the voices of those who lived, who were, who were working on the 103rd floor of that day in the World Trade Center. We can learn some things because, you know, when, when, when they were cut off and trapped and hopeless, uh, some of them had phones and they began to make phone calls. And they didn't make phone calls, uh, you know, to, to call their stockbroker to find out how, you know, how much money they had. They didn't call and cancel an appointment in the afternoon, you know, with a, with a hairstylist. They didn't even call their insurance agent to find out how much coverage they had. They're actually recorded conversations where... Those folks on the 103rd floor in the World Trade Center were calling spouses, calling a husband, calling a wife, and saying, I love you one more time. Calling children, a son or a daughter, and saying, you're precious one last time. Calling a mom and dad and saying, thank you one last time. Some of them called best friends. Some of them called relatives because they knew their life was coming to an end and they wanted to express their love and, 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 their, and their, their joy in a friendship. Some of them called rabbis, priests, and pastors because they had questions. Questions about truth, questions about God, and questions about eternity. We can learn something from that 
that, that, that situation because the, re, the reality is, is that these people knew that they had just a little time left and, and they saw life differently because they realized that they were standing on the brink of another world. And the fact of the matter is, is that for, uh, for us, we too stand on the brink of another world. But we aren't living in a large tower that's on fire and the chances are that we have more than 56 minutes left, we're hoping. <laughs> and, and chances are you're correct, but we really, we really don't know, do we? We don't know because we don't know how much time we've been, we've been given. But we all stand on the brink of another world. And oftentimes the rhythms and the routines of life lull us to sleep. They, they, they dim the brightness of this, the sense of urgency that we should possess as Christ followers as we realize that this life we're living here today, that one day it will come to an end, and as Christ followers, when we take our last breath here on earth, we take our first breath in eternity with Jesus Christ, and we enjoy him forever and ever and ever. We set aside the thinking of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die, thinking that this is all there is. So soak it all up. No, no. We, we understand that we stand on the brink of another world. And whether we have 56 minutes or 56 years, we live life differently. And tragedies like 9-11 bring these, these concepts uh, a little clearer, into, into our, a little more focused in our lives. We see just how fragile life is. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples because they had some questions about the future. And Jesus was trying to describe for them what the future was like for those who were part of the kingdom of heaven. And he told some stories. And one of those stories is found in Matthew chapter 25. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 25. I want to read this, uh, this, this story. Uh, it, it's, it's a bit of a longer story that Jesus uh, tells his disciples as he speaks about the future. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you'll find this story on page 1561 in your, your pew Bible. Matthew 25 in the New Living Translation is called the parable of the three servants. And would you stand as I read this story? Again, it's a little bit of a longer story, um, but listen to, to how Jesus talks about future and how we are to prepare ourselves for that future. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. Three observations I want to make uh, from, from this particular text. The first one is this that God has given to each of us, his servants, God has given to each of us resources according to our abilities. And I, the way I like to, to express the resources is time, talent, and treasure. That for those of us in the room, God has given to us, we, he knows the number of days that we have here on earth. He's given to us time. And each one of us in this room will, will likely have more time or less time than someone else here. He's also given to us talents, giftings, passions. And we have different talents. We have different uh, uh, spiritual gifts. And, uh, and some, uh, some uh, greater, greater gift and, and some a lesser gift. But that's all on his sovereign decision. So we have time and we have talents. And he's also given to us treasure. He's, he's trusted us with his resources. And... Some of us in the room have more of those, those, uh, those treasures than others. There, some have a lot, some have a little. And that is all, again, based on what the master has decided. And that's the first observation from the story, that God has given to us resources, time, talent, and treasure. The second thing we uh, observe from this text is that, that, that Jesus, in this story, in the kingdom of heaven, has gone away like that master, and one day he will return and we will have a conversation with Jesus one day and give an answer to how we have stewarded those resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure. That stewardship is a key part of what lies ahead of us in the future. So how we live today, we, we think about how we use these, these, uh, these resources God has given to us. So we've been given resources. We're gonna have a conversation with Jesus someday about how we used those resources for the advancement of his kingdom. And thirdly, when Jesus returns, he will have an expectation of faithfulness and fruitfulness. 
Notice in this story that one individual gets five bags of silver, one gets two bags of silver, one gets one bag of silver. And the guy who had five doubles it, it becomes 10. And there's a party, let's celebrate. Well done, a good and faithful servant. The one who had two, he doubled it and and now he's got four. And he gives it back to the master and there's a party, let's celebrate. And the one who had one, for, for, for him, a misunderstanding on who God is and this idea of burying it just so that he can give it back to the master he's afraid he'll, he'll lose it. And he, that one bag of resources then given to the one who has 10 now. And now he's got 11 because Jesus has an expectation of faithfulness and fruitfulness. Sometimes we make the mistake that faithfulness is this hunkering down, this bury it sort of thing and just hold on till Jesus comes back and, and he'll be pleased when the reality is, is that faithfulness actually is putting into play, stewarding the resources that God has given to us, whether it's one bag of silver or 10 bags of silver or 20 bags of silver, whatever it is, One day Jesus is going to return and he's going to have a conversation with us and he's going to have a conversation and he's going to want to know, have we been faithful and have we been fruitful? Now, as we've been talking in these last uh, three or four weeks about this vision of a city at peace with God, one of the things that we have to bear in mind is that as we think about this, 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 this plan that was on the heart of God, remember Nehemiah, discovering what's on the heart of God and then embracing that as now this is on our heart and we're, we've come to the conclusion that, that God's plan for our city is that our city would be at peace with him, that there would be shalom experienced in our city, people in right relationship with him, people in right relationship with, the, with each other. As we think about that vision, that vision is not just a church vision where that's just something we do here. It's actually a vision that each of us embrace as our own because as we go to our neighborhoods, as we go to our places of work, we are rebuilders, we are restorers, and we have our eyes open so that we can be used by God so that that vision becomes a reality. And so what that means, it brings us to a crossroads of of how are we going to reorient or reprioritize our lives knowing that we stand on the brink of another world. That we understand that, that this earth is not all that there is. That there is a God and one day Jesus is going to return. And so we live in light of the future and we remind, we live, we reprioritize, we reorient, we align our lives with the reality of that future. So that brings us to a crossroads of some decisions. Uh, now I'm going to have a, a, a circle thrown up here on the screen here. And, um, and just this large circle here, and I'm moving my hand, but I'm actually not writing that. Uh, that's just showing up there. And that outer circle, let's say that that is the, the full capacity of, of time you have. Okay, let's just talk about time. We, haven't got the, we won't get the talent and treasure on this one, but just, just talk time. That inner circle is all the things that you give yourself to. It, it could be uh, work, um, there, you know, there's eating, um, let's, you know, we, we sleep, um, we, uh, we go to church, um, we, we watch TV, uh, we, uh, we shop, 
We, uh, we even Facebook sometimes for those who do that. We have all these active exercise might be another thing we'd put in there. And you've got your list of things that you give yourself on a daily basis, give yourself to on a daily basis or a weekly basis. Now what happens is we see that and we hear about a vision of a city at peace with God. And one of the questions that I believe we have to ask ourselves is what am I willing to say no to so that I can say yes to the things that God is calling me to? You follow me there? What, what things might, be, might God be asking me to say no to so that I can say yes to this vision of a city at peace with God. So that space around that inner circle uh, that you see there, what we really want to do is we want to clear as much space as possible there so that we can respond to the spontaneous promptings of the Spirit. Are you tracking with me here? Because if we've got our lives pushed to the edges so much, when I drive home and I'm exhausted because I've been so busy, i got so much stuff going on in my life, and I see my neighbor across the street, I, I want to have enough space in my life that I can walk across the street and say, how are you doing? And maybe that person went through a divorce. Maybe they, they buried a child. Maybe life is going great for them. But I, just, I want to have space in my life to follow up on the promptings of the Spirit so I can say yes to him. And so what this would look like, we would, if we drew another circle, um, we draw a circle, what we do is we say no to the things that God's asking us to say no to, and we, we do the things that we know we need to keep doing. Of course, we're going we're gonna to work, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to eat and sleep, but you know, maybe, maybe we'll put Facebook aside, maybe we'll put some other things, we're TV aside for a while, and we're going to give ourselves, you know, we're going to have time with God, and, uh, but in this outer circle, what we've done now is we have created space to respond to the promptings of the Spirit so that we can say yes to him and be personally involved in seeing our city be at peace with God. So individually, as we talk about this vision of deep and wide, a city at peace with God, we need to own it. I need to own it personally and say, okay, God, what are the things I need to say no to in my life so that I can fully engage in pursuing this vision so I can reorient, so I can reprioritize my life in this direction? Now, having said that, that is also something that as a church, we've got our own circle as, as a church. We've got our own capacity of, of what we give ourselves to as, as this local church body. Let me just, let me just run a, a few of these by you as they're, as they're pointed at this vision of a city at peace with God. Life Path, which happens over at Faith Annex, it's, a, it's our recovery and, uh, and healing ministry. We have 850 people a week who are coming uh, to Faith Annex uh, and participating in our STEPS ministries and our Overcomers Outreach, in AA, in GA, in Al-Anon, in NA, a lot of programs happening over there so that we can bring peace to people's lives uh, through some practical ways of helping them uh, be at peace with God and be at peace with others. We, I don't know if you knew that, but over at Faith Annex, that building, it, it's got new siding going on it because of a grant we got. It'll get paint here in the next couple weeks. 850 people a week coming through that, that ministry. Uh, another ministry that we've got going on here is called Community Impact. This is our outreach ministry. 
And there's a lot of things happening with outreach. Those are just a few of the things on, on the wall here. Storage unit ministry is a ministry where we have guys in our church who deliver furniture to people who are, find themselves in a very difficult situation. Might be, a, it might be a domestic violence situation where now you got a mom on her own with her kids and she's got no furniture. Well, some of you have donated furniture, and then what we do is we take it and deliver it to these families. Sometimes we get referrals from, uh, from the state on this, and we help them get going, and that's a ministry uh, that, that happens around here. Roars is a wood-cutting ministry that provides uh, cords of wood to people in the winter so they can heat their homes. 225 families were impacted by that, that ministry. Some of you are part of that ministry. Angels Ministry is a, is a ministry that serves lunches to the homeless. 575 lunches a month. Um, we, we have people who make sandwiches, people who deliver the sandwiches, and this is all about having uh, crossing the path of people who are in need. And that, that happens uh, here uh, on a monthly basis. Hands for Christ is a, is a really cool ministry where we've got some folks who are making blankets, and 146 baby blankets were delivered this last year. To, to moms in our own church and moms in our, in our community. You donated 8,251 pounds of food to our community food bank. 800 people in our community got a Thanksgiving basket because of you. And then our Life Center classes over at Broadway Commons, we have uh, 400 people uh, last year in, in our community attended a parenting class or English language learning class or an employment network. And, uh, and this year we have 159 kids that are part of the children programming of that. Meaning when, they, when, they, when folks show, show up to learn, uh, say it's English, on, on a Monday night, their kids come into programming right here in this church building. And some of you involved in that, in that ministry to those, uh, those kids. Uh, those ministries, as well as other ministries, children's, student ministries, uh, 148 times in the last 12 months, someone has pounded a white ribbon on that cross, symbolizing new life in Christ, uh, beginning a new, a new journey with Jesus Christ. And that, that's, that's one thing that's happened just through our community impact. We also have the upper room. This la in the last 12 months, we had 9,097 people that used the upper room. 9,097 times it was used. I shouldn't say people because sometimes uh, people are coming more than one time. We don't, we don't uh, track the names of everyone who's coming to use the upper room like we're getting some report so that I know how many times you've been using it. That's not, the, that's not what's going on. Uh, it's just that the, the upper room over at Broadway Commons, nine... Um, you know, just shy of 10,000 times someone walked in that room. And a lot of times, it's not even some from our church. It's some from the community, pastors from our community that are using that. That's another expression of what's happening here. Group life, we have, uh, conservatively, we have uh, over 2,800 people who use, uh, who are in part of a, a community. High Quest group, Bible study group, community groups, hearts at home, you name it. Uh, tw over 2,800 people uh, involved in some sort of group here at, at Salem Alliance with group life. A free medical clinic. We, remember, when we launched Broadway Commons, we, we provided a place uh, for a, a free clinic. And in 2008, we were running two clinics a month. And in that year, we saw 748 patients. In 2010, we had seven clinics on average a month. And in that year, we saw 1,300 patients. This year, we're averaging 48 clinics a month. And we will see about 6,000 patients. But the reality is, 
that every week we turn, around, we turn away about 250 patients because <clears throat> we don't have enough volunteer doctors or nurses. Or, uh, we, we, there's a huge need in our community of people who are either um, <clears throat> underemployed or they're just uninsured and, um, and they have serious needs. And, and bear in mind that when we turn them away, um, every time someone comes and sees uh, someone at the clinic, we, we offer prayer which is why we have roses from the clinic. It's, it's an opportunity to share Jesus. And so we, uh, we, we want to address that. And, and, and by the way, we have a dental clinic a week. Uh, we have a dental clinic at, at, over there at Broadway Commons as well. And we have 350 people on a waiting list for dental care. And the, dental, the only dental care that we're providing is simply pulling teeth. We're not doing cleanings. We're not doing fillings. We're just pulling teeth. And there are 350 people from our community who are on a waiting list just to make that happen. And our dream on the clinic is that in three years, we'd love to be able to serve 10,000 people a year from our community. That, 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 that's our dream. And by the way, Barbara Fletcher is doing a great job of leading um, in, in that ministry. There's uh, over 60 churches in our community are sending volunteers so this really is a, a kingdom work. Uh, we're thrilled about what God's doing. But that's part of what we're doing here. Here's another one, Broadway Commons, uh, across the street. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. In the last 12 months, we have hosted on our whole campus 8,940 events. There were 5,260 events over Broadway Commons. Over 2,300 of those were, were events from our community which was part of our dream from the very beginning. Now, here's just, just some idea of how that's being used. 22 different churches used Broadway Commons in the last 12 months. And there's a list of churches. First Nazarene, St. Timothy's, First Baptist, People's Church. And look at that list. These are churches that are, that are, are using space over Broadway Commons. Uh, we've got 17 other different ministries in the last uh, 12 months have used it. YWAM, Stepping Out, Salem Leadership Foundation. And then we've got, uh, we've got schools, 32 different schools has used Broadway Commons in the last 12 months. Look at that, I mean, look at that list of schools. Go back one there, Kathy. That list of schools, Western Oregon, Simpson, Pacific University, we got Waldo, uh, Parish, Crosser, Willamette Valley Christian, just a whole, I mean, Oregon State, there's a, a bunch of schools that are, that are using our space over at Broadway Commons. And then we got government agencies. 18 different government agencies have rented space over at Broadway Commons. I mean, even the Oregon Department of Revenue, I don't know why, but they're over there keeping an eye on us. Uh, but uh, no, we have people in our church who, who work for Oregon Department of Revenue. And so it, it's, isn't it encouraging to see our, our, our government using the building? And then we've got a host of different other events happening. These are 70 plus some different organizations who have used our space at, at, at Broadway Commons. And that, that's a lot of activity. It's hard to get a parking spot over there at Broadway Commons because of all that's happening over there. But that's part of our circle here, uh, of, of, of what's going on. And so, so here's, here's uh, the deal, is that we've got all this stuff that's happening here at, at Broadway Commons. And then uh, with, with clinic, group life, upper room, community impact, life path, and again, there's many ministries that aren't even on that circle. One of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, is what we are doing aligned with where, where God is taking us? Because we want to, to reorient, we want to reprioritize our lives as a church in such a way of knowing that one day Jesus is going to return 
return, he's going to have a conversation with us, and he's going to want to know, how have you used my resources? He has an expectation of faithfulness and fruitfulness, so we want to be very wise and discerning about the things we give ourselves to. And by the way, as we have been talking about our future, we have, we have dreams that we believe that God has given to us. And we want to pursue them. And, and here are just some of the dreams. Let me just walk through some of them. The first ones is, is we hope to, in this next year, by next fall, launch what we're calling missional communities. These would be... Uh, you know, small to mid-sized communities that would be experiencing passionate spirituality together, that would, uh, would be uh, engaged in radical community, and that each one would also pos- uh, possess missional zeal. And the DNA of these missional communities would be such that this group is, is there, and then I, they've identified a couple leaders, and they're preparing them because what they're going to do is they, uh, they're looking for places in our city where there is a lack of peace. So this missional community is saying, where in our city is there rubble? Let's own that as a missional community. And as we do that, let's train leaders because we want to give birth to another missional community here in the next two or three years. And they're going to do the same. That group is going to engage in community, passionate spirituality, and look in our city and say, where is there rubble? Where is there a lack of peace? And they're going to raise up leaders, and that's going to happen again and again and again and again. And as that happens, we are planting seeds of peace in our city, and people are not just, uh, just gathering in, in, in community, which is a good thing, but then engaged in community, going. And that's one of our dreams, and we're talking about, we're, we're strategizing this year. How do we practically um, move forward with this concept that we, that we truly believe in? Because, again, we believe God's plan for our, our, our church, this vision that we have as a city at peace with God, missional communities, is something that you're going to be hearing about in this next year. Here's another dream we have. We have a dream of beginning a ministry training center uh, that our campus with all the unique ministries that we have on our campus, we, would, we are raising up young people who have a call in their life to serve. That's happening. We are raising up middle-aged people who have a call in their life, and they want to serve, and that's happening. And we are raising up retired people who have a call in their life, and that is happening. And we have many exciting ways that people can be engaged in ministry. But here's one of the realities that we face. When someone senses a call to, uh, to serve Christ and they want to be trained, it's pretty expensive these days to, to be trained. And frankly, for, for young people, when they look at the price tag of going to a university, it's pretty expensive. You know, our, our denomination has four universities and uh, you know, the average cost of one year's worth of schooling is like $25,000. Well, you, you go to school for four years, you do the math, you're at $100,000. And imagine you're, you're working hard and you pay half of that. And you come out of the other end of school and you, now you, you have school loans for $50,000. And in our denomination, you can't even go globally until you're debt free. What well, kind of feels like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And on top of that, if you go to school and you incur those loans and then you, you meet someone and you fall in love with them and you marry them and they've got their school loans as well, 
it doubles. Now you're 100,000. Here's the reality. A lot of our young people who sense a call on their life in high school are disappearing. They're disappearing because they simply can't afford it. They can't afford it. And many folks who are, who are, who are you know, in their 40s or their 50s or 30s, and, and they also sense a call, can't afford it, nor the timing of when classes happen is, is a challenge. And there's some, some resources there. And, and, and if you're retired, you, you face those same things. Here's the reality. We are in preliminary discussions. Uh, we think we have found a way to offer accredited degrees on our campus that allows someone to be trained in theology in, in very focused ways, as well as then be plugged into ministries on our campus at a, at a pretty significantly cheaper price. Now, I want you to hear me on this. We are not going into competition with the universities. That's not what we're doing. We're not, we're not in competition with Simpson University. Think small on this, okay? We have wonderful partners at Corbin University. We love Corbin, and we love to partner with them. We're not putting universities out of, out of business. What we, in many ways, actually what we'll do is we'll strengthen those partnerships, but we want to see our campus be like this ministry laboratory where someone can learn theology and then perhaps pray with patients in the clinic or deliver lunches to the homeless. And in that, have that count towards their education. We've got that dream. It's very preliminary. It's some years down the road, but we're, we're, we're trusting God for this. Here's another dream we have. We're dreaming of starting social businesses that don't just provide relief for people, but actually provide development and get them up on their feet. For example, someone comes out of prison. One of the first things they need to find is a job. And guess what? Oftentimes, you're turned down for jobs because of your past and then what typically what happens is there, uh, you reoffend because you get, you get caught in the cycle and you go back to prison. We want to start businesses that help people get on their feet, whatever their situation might be. Uh, we, we, we believe that we want to, to take active steps to help our community in this area of peace and just providing. That's a dream we have. We also have a, a dream to hire a nurse practitioner. Uh, we have a dream to hire a dentist. Um, we have a dream to expand our clinic, um, and as, as we mentioned already, we're turning away 250 patients a week. Those are all missed opportunities to have a conversation with someone ab about Jesus. We, we dream about all these things, but in order to pursue them, we need to clear space. Just like you and I, we draw that circle, and we have to clear space we too have to clear space as a church. Now, individually, we talked about time, and the space I'm talking about for us as a church is, is this area of our finances. We need to clear space so that we can respond spontaneously to the promptings of the Spirit so that as a church, we can continue to be nimble to respond to the things that God has, has called us to. Now, let me just play this out for us. I want to be very honest with you about what this means. In, in 2007, we engaged in a, in a capital campaign called Imagine. Some of you were here, and you participated in that. And imagine, we were imagining what God would do on Broadway. It was a, it was a parking lot. And today, we don't have to imagine it because it's there. And it's, uh, but if you remember in 2007, it was pretty foggy. We were just kind of, kind of trying to follow and, and obey, and it, it, was, it wasn't very clear, and, but we were imagining, and, and, 
and we had a, a capital campaign. You turned in pledge cards that totaled uh, about $4.2 million. And we were in this, we've been in this campaign for, for five years. It actually uh, ends uh, this month. And, um, and you, as a generous congregation, pledged $4.2 million, but you gave $5.9 million as of the end of August. And we should celebrate that. That's amazing. <laughs> Praise God for that. <clears throat> now, the building was pretty expensive. Um, we, we knew that going in, so we knew we'd have loans. Um, we've got two loans on Broadway that cover the balance uh, of about $7 million. But that was the campaign we did in 2007. Um, and, and I want to tell you that what we're doing is we're, that, we're bringing that campaign to a close, and we're starting a, a new campaign. It's a financial campaign to be able to clear space. And I'm talking about financial space. So track with me here, because we're calling this next one uh, clear. Imagine, foggy, clear, we know what we're doing, okay? We're clearing space. Uh, we're, 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 we're following what God has called us to do. Here's, here's what we're doing as far as this financial side. If you were here uh, in the spring, you heard us talk about Honda Cycle and how that company came to us and asked us to purchase their property. Uh, we've agreed on a price. We have not uh, officially purchased that property. There's still some, still some details being worked out. The details are not cost. We know it's going to be $725,000, but that's some space that we want to clear financially so that we can completely own that corner. The other space over there is Airmark, and we paid $1.1 million for that property. If you were here when we were going through the, the campaign, the Imagine campaign, halfway through that, that Imagine campaign, that piece of property that the Airmark uh, company was on, uh, we've been praying for for about 20 years, came up for sale, and we were like, oh man, God, you're already calling us to so much. Are you asking us to do this? And together as a church, we said yes, and we purchased that property for $1.1 million. And then we have two loans on Broadway. One of them is, is uh, $3 million, and we, we want to uh, clear that space as well. As well as, like we did with Imagine, we want to invest in our Middle East partnership again to the tune of 300000 And then we have about 500000 what we want to raise for our, our continued Broadway Commons mortgage payments. Now, you look at that list, and I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. But let me tell you how God has already been at work as we want to, we want every one of these circles to be clear. We want to pay off Honda Cycle. We want to pay off Aramark. We want to pay off that Broadway Commons loan and make those other two investments. Here's what God has been doing. This summer, as we were talking about Honda Cycle, there were some folks in our church who heard about that purchase, made, uh, made some contact with us, and said that they believed that this was a strategic piece of property for us. And so we have received a gift of a half a million dollars for the purchase of Honda Cycle. Um, and that, that gift has already been given. So that circle there has already been reduced to $225,000 because of a very, very generous gift. There's already space. Praise God. On Aramark, because we've been making payments, and many of you have been giving to our expansion fund for us to make these payments and reduce our debt, $1.1 million has been reduced to $680,000. we have been paying on our Broadway Commons mortgage now for uh, just short of two years. That's been reduced to $2.8 million. And this, in this clear campaign, what we want to do is we want to empty each one of those circles. We want to clear space 
so that we can respond uh, spontaneously to the promptings of the Spirit. To the tune of, here's, here's our goal for this, this, uh, this clear campaign, is $5 million. That's what it's gonna take. Now look at that number. You ever been shopping and seen a price tag that said $5 million? Because if you have, you probably would walk away from it pretty quick, just like I would. But let me, let me just tell you uh, just how, how, with God's help, how doable this is. In the Imagine campaign, there are between 1,500 and 1,600 families and singles who gave to that, that, that campaign. A grade school student gave a quarter to the Imagine campaign. Another family just gave a gift after gift after gift every month for five years, and it totaled 109,000. There were gifts from a quarter to 109,000. If you take those same 1,500 families or 1,600 families or singles from our church, and we were to give $50 a month for five years, we'd reach our goal. And the reality is, is that for some of you in the room, $50 is too much. It's asking too much because it just isn't affordable. And for some of you in the room, $50 is too little because you can do more. Remember, we're reorienting our lives, we're reprioritizing our lives, knowing that we stand on the brink of another world and that we will give an account to Jesus for how we've used our resources. And if we use our resources well, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate. And I want you to hear loud and clear, I do not want to be the pastor who guilts you or arm twists you into giving. I'm simply inviting you and by the way, if you look at that $5 million goal, we already have 10% of it given in that gift. We're already 10% of the way there. And in these next couple of, of weeks, you're gonna be getting a, a, a brochure called Clear. It's gonna expel some of the stuff out, and there's gonna be a pledge card in there. And I wanna encourage you to be praying about this. Because we have a vision of a city at peace with God. And we believe there's a role for us to play as individuals in our own neighborhoods and our workplaces. And there's a role for us to play as a church. And I want us to be praying about that, about how God would lead you. And now what I want you to do is, is I want to just bring it back to, to you as an individual. Uh, it, there's, there's a piece of paper there, a sermon notepad in your, in your uh, pew. Would you grab a piece of paper there? And uh, I just want you to, to process something as individuals. And by the way, on this financial campaign, like our Imagine campaign, one of the things we want to avoid is pulling from, say, you're giving to the ministry fund and, and moving it to the, uh, this financial, this, this clear campaign, um, or ministry fund, we, we need to give to the ministry. We need to keep those ministries going. Um, and uh, so we want, I want to avoid that, um, and yet still ask God, what are you asking me to say no to so I can say yes to what you're calling us to? And with that piece of paper, I want you to process that personally. I want you to just draw a circle that represents your time, the capacity of your time. And then I want you to draw a circle on the inside of that, that, that you sense is how much space is being taken of your time by what you give yourself to. And maybe you might even want to write some of those things in that inner circle. Remember that circle that we, we drew up here? Large circle, smaller circle on the inside. How much space do you have in your life to respond to the things that God's calling you to? Would you just take a few moments just to ask the question, God, what do you want me to say no to so I can say yes to you?